Good morning, Three Lakes Evangelical Free. Hey, there's a couple. One more. Good morning. All right. We're going to stand and sing this morning. If you could stand, we're going to sing um, the doxology, which is like a really fun way to start the morning. We thought that it's praising God for everything. So it's a good praise worship song this morning.
You may be seated. Good morning. Good to be gathered with you here this morning as we get to gather together to do what we just sang. Right? We get to gather together as God people in this place and praise God. It's a joy to get to gather with you to do that this morning. If you're new or visiting, my name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at Free Lake Evangelical Free Church, and we're just glad that you're here with us as we gather together, as we praise God together. As we, we just sang, right, we're here to praise God, and sometimes that's easy. Right? When things are going well, when things are joyful, it's really easy to praise God and sing those words. There's other times when life is hard, when things are difficult, right? but the the great news of the Bible, the great hope that we have is that even in the midst of trial and hardship, right, we can still praise God. Right? That, that Paul says in one of his letters that we are called to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We can rejoice and praise God even in the midst of sorrow and hardship and trial. So no matter where you're at this morning, whether you're coming in joyful and happy and things are great, or you're here and you're hurting, maybe struggling, like we're glad you're here. We can still praise God together, no matter where you're at this morning. A couple of things to bring to your attention this morning. So, on on Sunday, March 13th, the following cross training, a couple of weeks here, we're going to have a, a, a potluck soup lunch. And so there's information about that in the back of your bowl. There's a sign-up sheet downstairs in the kitchen if you want to be part of that and sign up to bring a soup. Um, we would love to have you just join us for that and just spend some time together fellowshipping over a meal. Also downstairs is a sign-up sheet to bring baked goods for our, our time following the service where we can get together and um, share baked goods and coffee together. If you want to bring baked goods, there's a sign-up sheet downstairs for that as well. As I said a minute ago, right, one of the great things we can do is we can gather together and praise God even in the midst of of trial and sorrow and hardship. And of course, this week, right, the big kind of news that's hard to avoid is the war that's starting in Ukraine. So in your bulletin, there's a few resources that I found helpful just in thinking through some of that. So if you're looking for something to read, get a perspective from Christians inside of Ukraine, there's two articles there. I just think of them and churches in Ukraine gathering this morning, still praising God even in the midst of, of their sorrow, their trial. Um, so we just want to pray for them. Like, I don't know all the details of every in and out of what's going on over there, but I do know one thing. like People are scared. People are dying. There's fear. And so we just want to pray for them. Also, the, the Ellenwood family, right, who are missionaries from our church, they're in the Czech Republic, but they're working over there in that region, helping refugees who are fleeing Ukraine, so you can keep them in your prayers as well. We kind of think through just ways that the church can can support those who are hurting and in need as a result of this situation. With that in mind, would you join me in prayer? Father God, we We come and we do just want to praise you. And no matter what's going on in our lives and the lives of our loved ones, 
that you are still worthy of praise, that you are still a good and a glorious God, deserves our praise and our worship. And though we may walk through hard times, we may walk through challenges, you do not leave us, you do not forsake us, but you walk alongside us through dark times and you ultimately use them for your glory. Trust you have a good and wonderful plan for the world you made that one day there will be no more pain, no more suffering. That there will be a new heavens and a new earth where all is set right. Even in the midst of pain, praise you for that. We pray for especially our brothers and sisters in Ukraine this morning who they are gathering to worship in the midst of fear and anxiety and uncertainty that you'd be with them you give them boldness and courage and hope they would trust in you and your goodness even in the midst of great trial and fear and difficulty. And we just pray for that whole situation that you would be at work. That you could use even the sorrow terrors of war for your purposes. We pray that you would be at work. Not only pray for for peace, people who are affected, that you you would bring a just and a right peace to that area. Father, we pray this morning as we continue in worship that you would set our minds, set our heart on you. We could the word we're about to sing from a, a pure and joyful heart celebrating what a great and mighty God you are what other distractions and care if you put away for this time that have fixed our minds on you and bring you glory through our singing pray in Jesus name Amen you could stand again. We're going to continue singing this morning. As Pastor Tim was talking, I, I was reading through the words of the next song we're going to sing. And how coincidental. The song's always, My foes are many, they rise against me, but I will hold my ground. I will not fear the war. I will not fear the storm. My help is on the way. My help is on the way. Let's lift this song up as a prayer for what is going on in our world today. Because it is exactly what we should be doing as Christians.
you give us that we so often take for granted and for the great things you do in our lives. We, would we praise you for it all. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. So I assume you're all familiar with the, the cereal Cheerios. Well, in our house, it's more affectionately called circle cereal, right? But, you know, it's Cheerios. So it was released by General Mills in 1941. So, a long time ago, right? 1941. So, for 38 years, regular plain Cheerios was the only item in the Cheerios line from General Mills. And then 38 years later, someone at Cheerios or General Mills or whatever had this crazy idea. What if we sprinkle a little bit of honey, put a little nut in our Cheerios, and we have Honey Nut Cheerios. And so they released Honey Nut Cheerios, and it was pretty successful. It was released in 1979. Honey Nut Cheerios came out. So for the first 50 years, those were the only two Cheerio items on the market. And then in 1988, they released Apple Cinnamon Cheerios, and in 1995, Frosted Cheerios came on the scene. But that was it until 2005. Right? So I graduated high school in 2005. So when I graduated high school, which doesn't feel that long ago, 
right? Which longer than I want to admit, but it wasn't that long ago. It's like there were four Cheerio products on the market. First 64 years of Cheerios existence, an entire four product came to the market. And now here we are, 17 years removed from 2005. So 17 years from having four products. Do you know how many Cheerio products are on the market today? 20. There's 20 varieties of Cheerios you can walk into a grocery store and buy today. And that doesn't even count the fairly large number of varieties that they launched and then have already discontinued since 2005. So today, you can walk into a supermarket, you can buy blueberry Cheerios, maple Cheerios, Cherry's Oat Crunch Cinnamon, and Cherry's Oat Crunch Almond, and Cherry's Oat Cheerios Oat Crunch Oats and Honey. You can buy fruity Cheerios, and chocolate peanut butter Cheerios, and chocolate strawberry Cheerios. You can buy pumpkin spice Cheerios, and very berry Cheerios, and multigrain Cheerios with real strawberries. And you can buy Honey Nut Cheerios Medley Crunch, which is apparently different than plain Honey Nut Cheerios. Right? There's just tons of varieties of Cheerios. Right? And Cheerios is not the only brand doing this. Like, you like, walk into a grocery store, like, it feels like every week there's some new variety of Coke or Pepsi or like, Mountain Dew hitting the shelves. Like Coke this week had put out Coke Starlight which I don't know what that's supposed to taste like, but that's the new thing. And like, just so many choices. I do not envy like people in charge of inventory at grocery store. There's just so many products. All that to say, like we live in this time of seemingly limitless choice. And there's some pros to that. There's some good things about that. Like it's, it's nice to have choice a lot of the time. But there's also some drawbacks to having so many choices. And one of those drawbacks is that having so many choices, having to choose constantly can be exhausting. In fact, there's a, there's a name for this. It's called decision fatigue. It's the fatigue that comes from having to make so many choices. And decision fatigue is why people like Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs famously wear the same outfit every day. They don't have to choose what they wear. They don't want to waste some of their precious decision-making energy on choosing their outfit. Barack Obama once talked about this, and he said this. He said, you'll see I only wear gray or blue suits. I'm trying to pare down decisions. I don't want to make decisions about what I'm wearing because I have too many other decisions to make. Life is full of choice, and so getting rid of some choices when we can is helpful because it doesn't drain us mentally. It's helpful to reduce choice sometimes. But some choices can't be avoided. We can't avoid all choices. And one of those choices we can't avoid is what are we going to do with Jesus? We can't avoid that decision. Now the good news is there aren't a whole plethora of choices about what to do with Jesus. Right? There's really only two choices. Like you can accept Jesus as he is, or you can reject him. And in today's passage, Jesus makes it abundantly clear right, that everyone has to make the choice what to do with him. Either follow him, before him, right, or be against him. 
You have to choose. There's no avoiding the decision. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12 this morning. Looking at verses 49 through 59. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there. Otherwise, the verses will be on the screen as well. Just as a note before we read these. In my Bible, at least, these verses have two headings. One of them is, not peace but division. And the other one is, interpreting the times. So not peace but division and interpreting the times. And it feels like there's two kinds of pastors. There's those who really relish preaching passages with headings like, not peace but division. And there's the rest of us. I don't delight in having to preach on not peace but division, but here we are. So this is where we are at, Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 59. Follow along as I read. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I have come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family, divided against each other. Three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son, and son against father. Mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowd, You see a cloud rising in the west. Immediately you say, It's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, It's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way. Or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So if I could just kind of boil this whole section, these ten verses down into kind of one main idea... Like I would say it's this. Jesus' ministry forces us to choose between following Him and rejecting Him. Right? Jesus' very presence and ministry here on earth is ministering amongst us means we have to choose what we believe about Him. Right? There's no avoiding the choice. If you try to just avoid the choice, that's just another way of rejecting Him. And the only choices that are available are to accept Him as He claims to be, to accept Him as the Son of God and Lord of the universe, or to reject Him entirely. There's no middle ground. There's no being indifferent about Jesus. There's no option to accept certain parts of what Jesus says and reject others. Jesus is not like Cheerios, where you can choose your preferred variety. You can either accept him for who he says he is, or you can reject him. C.S. Lewis famously made this point when he said this. He said, 
I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. As Lewis says here, like you have to choose. You can't make your own version of Jesus and choose that one. Accept him as he is for who he claimed to be or reject him. So you may have noticed, even though I've kind of talked about a lot of choice so far, like there's nowhere in the passage that we're actually called to choose. There's no command like in Joshua 24 where Joshua says, choose this day who you will serve. Before he utters the famous line, after me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's not a command to choose like that in this passage. There's no clear call to choose. But what we do see in this passage is we see the result of the choice, of choosing, which is division. Jesus says in verse 49, I have come to bring fire on the earth. And throughout the Bible, like the fire is used as a picture of purification, as this thing that brings purification. Fire is used to heat up and melt metal, and in the process of being heated, the fire causes the metal, the pure metal, to separate from the, the slag, the impurities. And then the, the impurities can be kind of taken off, and the pure metal is left behind. So what was once a mixed kind of chunk of impure metal now becomes two things. Valuable pure metal and this waste product to be cast aside. And Jesus here is saying that's what his ministry is going to do. It's going to bring fire. It's going to bring division between the pure and the impure. We see this clearly in verse 51 to 53. That do you think I came to bring peace On earth. No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided like father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother in law against daughter in law, and daughter in law against mother in law. Those verses probably aren't the verses you have like crocheted on a pillow somewhere. Like you probably don't have a coffee mug that says, I did not come to bring peace but division. Unless you're trying to be like edgy or something. 
You probably don't have that. But that's what Jesus says here. And what he's telling us by saying these verses is that his ministry fundamentally divides people into two groups. Those who follow him and those who are against him. Like So often we, we fight and we divide over the silliest things. We used to live in, in Louisville, Kentucky, and the people of Louisville are like deeply invested in college sports. In case when you don't have, like, you don't have any professional teams, like you choose the, the next best thing, which in this case is college sports. And so if you're from Louisville, you really have two choices. You can, choose, you can cheer for the University of Louisville, or you can cheer for the University of Kentucky. And it's remarkable throughout the city how evenly split it is. The population of Louisville pretty evenly split between U of L fans and UK fans, which means that like seemingly everywhere you go in the city, like every house you visit, it feels like you see a sign that looks like this. Like I feel like it's like required that like a husband and wife like one be a UK fan and one be a U of L fan. They just like it's, they see these everywhere. There's this division, this animosity between UK fans and U of L fans. And for most people, like this is good-natured and funny and humorous. But as is always the case, right? Some people take the rivalry way too far, and there's like genuine animosity for fans of the other team. It's like a silly thing to fight and divide over. But we're so good at fighting and dividing over silly, foolish things. You don't have to look far in our world to see people fighting and arguing over nonsense stuff. But what we choose to believe, what we follow, whether we follow Jesus or not, that causes real division. Division that matters. Division that is not foolish. But division that is like, real and lasting. And the division even like extends to families. That's what Jesus says here, talking about five against three, or in a family of five, three against two, right? and father against son, and son against father. And it causes real family, that family, the division that goes deeper than even family. We have to make a choice: right? follow Jesus, obey Jesus, or don't. And the choice you make is going to cause division with people who make the opposite choice. Now we as Christians need to be careful here. If you follow Jesus, these verses are not 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 an encouragement to be intentionally acrimonious toward people who don't follow Jesus. This is not an invitation to intentionally separate yourself from people who don't follow Jesus. And in fact, the opposite is true. Jesus said this knowing that, especially during his time, for people who chose to follow him, they were going to be susceptible to being rejected, to being shunned by their family, to being put out by their culture. So he says that not to tell them to be divisive, but to not be surprised when people are divisive against them. But we, as people who do follow Jesus, we should, we should heed Paul's word when he says 
that insofar as it depends on us, we should live at peace with everyone. We, as people who follow Jesus, we should live in a way that we, we encourage and we invite people to learn more about who Jesus is and to invite and encourage them to follow Him. While they still live, people who don't know Jesus still have the opportunity to change their minds and follow after Him. And our goal as Christians should be to invite them in and encourage them to do so. Because the final division, the ultimate division, is the division that happens after death. Where those who have chosen to follow Jesus, who have chosen to submit their lives to Jesus, will spend eternity with Him, while those who have rejected Jesus will spend eternity in hell. And I know, speaking of hell and the consequences of not following Jesus is not a heartwarming topic. But the Bible is clear that, that our sin, our rebellion against God deserves eternal punishment. And that brings us to what is really the most remarkable aspect of this passage. The most remarkable thing in this passage is that we have a choice at all. God would have been perfectly right, perfectly just to leave us in our sin with no hope of being made right with Him. He could have left us to face the consequences of our sin on our own. But He didn't do that. Instead, He sent Jesus. And in this passage, Jesus says, I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. And this baptism he's talking about here is not the baptism by John the Baptist. It's a kind of a metaphorical baptism. And it's the baptism he's speaking of here is when he goes to the cross and he dies in our place. The word baptism literally translates into immersed. So on the cross, Jesus is immersed in our sin. He is dunked into our sin and the unimaginable weight of God's wrath against sin on our behalf. That's what happens at the cross. He takes his, our sin on himself. And because he did that, because he went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, he can offer us a choice. The choice to trust in him and have our sins paid for by Jesus, or the choice to reject him and pay for our sins on our own. But either way, our sins must be paid for. God would not be just and righteous if He just turned a blind eye to our sin. Our sins must be dealt with. But Jesus offers the choice of how they will be dealt with. And the fact that He sent Jesus is truly remarkable. The fact that Jesus freely chose, gladly came to earth to endure that baptism is staggering. Because he knew from the beginning how difficult the road would be for him to go to the cross. In the ESV, verse 52 is translated a little bit differently. It says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. And the reason Jesus' distress is so great 
is he knows how brutal the crucifixion is going to be. He knows how unimaginably, unimaginably painful the process of dying on a cross is going to be. And thinking about that causes him great distress. When I was a teacher, I used to dread, dread parent-teacher conferences. Like, like, I was in constant fear of like some parent coming in, like their child's not doing great, and they just like go off on an angry rant about how I, the teacher, am to blame for their child doing poorly. So I just, I dreaded parent-teacher conferences. And because I dreaded them so much, like the entire week or so before conferences, I was just like, was miserable. Like just thinking about them, dwelling on them, worrying about them. Like I could do little else but thinking about the conferences that were coming up and just dread them. In fact, I spent so much time like thinking about them and dreading them. In reality, like, the experience of anticipating the conferences is often worse than the conferences themselves. You've probably had a similar experience where you've dreaded something so much that the distress of worrying about it was worse than the, the actual event. And not that Jesus is <clears throat> anticipating the cross will be worse than the cross itself. But this is kind of what Jesus is feeling here. He knows what is coming. He's dreading the cross. and The anticipation of it is causing him distress. But that's precisely what makes Jesus' life and ministry so remarkable. He knew what he was getting into. Like going to the cross didn't catch him off guard. He knew from the beginning what waited him at the end. And he came, he endured the cross anyway. Because he loved us and he wanted to give us this choice. Jesus left the glories of heaven. He came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He endured the baptism of the cross so that you could choose. Follow Him and have your sins paid for by Him on the cross or reject Him and continue to live for yourself and pay the penalty of your sins on your own. He's done all the work that is required. All that's left for us to do then is respond. And our response is really a two-step process. The first step is to examine the evidence. If what we've been saying is true, that if we really do deserve hell for our sins, if Jesus really did live a sinless life and die on the cross in our place, if we really could spend eternity in unimaginable glory by trusting in Jesus, like everyone would choose that. Like If that was all true... No one would reject it. Like they'd be a fool to reject it if it was definitely true. But the fact of the matter is, people who don't follow Jesus don't reject Him because they believe it, but just aren't interested. They reject Him because they don't believe Him in the first place. And Jesus faced this in His own time as well. People choosing not to believe Him. He responds to the, the doubt about him by saying to the crowd, starting at verse 54, When you see a crowd rising in the west, 
immediately you say, it is going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? And Jesus is saying to the crowd, Look, you use your logical, God-given mind to draw conclusions about what the weather is going to be like. You use your mind to think through and examine the evidence for the weather so you know what's coming tomorrow. But he's saying, but you don't do the same thing for me. Instead, you, you reject me out of hand without even considering the evidence. Leading up to this passage, Jesus had been casting out demons and healing the sick in front of these people. And yet they still rejected him. Because they wouldn't critically examine the evidence. So Jesus is saying here, he's inviting us, don't dismiss me out of hand. Just take the time to consider the evidence, the way you do for the weather. And for the people in Jesus' day, that meant... Right, considering all they had seen or heard Jesus doing, right, healing the sick, casting out demons. And for us today, like, we don't always have the same kind of evidence to consider, right? but there's still plenty of evidence for us to consider about whether Jesus really is who he says he is or not. Probably like the piece of evidence, for me personally, that I find most compelling it's like, why do I believe that Jesus really is who he says he is? The piece of evidence I find most compelling is the very existence of Christianity itself. The fact that we're all sitting here today. And just think about like, all that was entailed for us to be here today talking about this man, Jesus. Like Christianity is a faith fundamentally predicated on a claim that, that a man was killed and then rose again. Like it faced massive opposition at the very beginning. And all any little opponent of Christianity had to do to like, stop Christianity before it even got started was to produce the bones of Jesus. If somebody brings the bones of Jesus out, like, Christianity goes nowhere. And then many, many, many of the earliest followers of Christianity, those who had seen or claimed to see the risen Jesus, many of them were killed for their faith. They knew it was a scam. They knew Jesus hadn't really risen. Why wouldn't they have recanted? Not many people give their life for something they know is a lie. And yet they didn't. Even those who, who survived were often persecuted. Their lives were made miserable for following Jesus. And yet they continued to follow Him. And indeed they, they left their homes and they traveled to unknown places so they could spread the word about Jesus. And despite Christianity being illegal and persecuted almost everywhere it went, it continued to grow and spread. 
Not through force, like some religions did, but through voluntary conversion. Like, for me, that just look at Christian history, history of Christianity, like, two facts to me seem undeniable. One, that the earliest followers of Jesus were absolutely convinced that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And the second is that God was actively working to soften hearts as the word spread to bring people to a knowledge of himself. Like My brain can't make sense of the rise and spread of Christianity otherwise. So if you're here, you're listening, I just encourage you to consider this evidence and other evidence like it. If you've already chosen to follow Jesus, then I find like just having that information, knowing that evidence, is a great encouragement to me when in moments when I'm prone to feeling doubt, asking questions. Like having that evidence in my mind is helpful for me. And if you're here, you're listening, and you're skeptical about Jesus. I just urge you, like, don't dismiss Jesus out of hand. Don't write him off. Just consider Jesus. Consider the evidence fairly. Don't evaluate Jesus on the basis of the like, admittedly bad stuff some of his claimed followers have done. Don't evaluate Jesus on the basis of what the world says about him. But consider what Jesus says about himself consider the evidence that what he says is true, and then, having considered that evidence, choose. And choose before it's too late. That the amount of time you have to make a decision like, is not limitless. So maybe, maybe you're here, maybe you're watching, you fear that if you choose to follow Jesus, your life's going to become boring or dull or like your choice is constricted, and so you think, I'm just going to put off the decision for a while. I'll choose later. Like you'll have a little bit of fun now, and then you'll make your choice about Jesus at a later time. But here's what Jesus said to that mindset in verse 57 to 59. Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penalty. Each one of us, we're we're on our way to, as it were, the, the judge, at the final judgment. And if you're not reconciled along the way, Jesus says here, if you're not reconciled by trusting Jesus, then you'll be thrown into the prison of hell until you've, until you've paid every last penny of your debt to sin. But the Bible says that your debt to sin is infinite. And so you can never fully repay it. But you have from now 
until either you die or until Jesus comes again to be reconciled with God through Jesus. If you trust Jesus, God will accept Jesus' sacrifice of himself, a sacrifice of infinite worth, as penalty for your infinite debt. You'll be free from the penalty of sin. You don't know when your time is up. So the urging is to choose now right, before it's too late. If you've never trusted Jesus, I'd urge you, choose now. If you're here, you've already made that choice to follow Jesus. Two things I would say. Like, let passages like this prompt us to remember all that Jesus did. To remember that Jesus knew the agony of the cross that awaited him, and he freely, joyfully came for us, out of his love for us. And then, because Jesus did that, we have the opportunity, we've been given the task of inviting other people to follow Jesus as well. If you've known and tasted the glory of following Jesus, we've been given the task of inviting others to follow Him as well. At the church, we say that one of our main desires is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus. And the reason we want to reach people with the gospel of Jesus is because we know that everyone faces this choice. Let's be a people known for reaching people, for engaging with our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends who don't know Jesus and inviting them to follow Him. Inviting them to choose Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, we are so thankful that you freely chose to come. To live a sinless life. To ultimately die on the cross on our behalf. To endure the agonies and the anguish of the cross. that we can choose to trust in you, to have our sin forgiven. And look forward to eternity with you in the new heavens and the new earth. And Father, as we, as we wait for that glorious eternity, we be people who invite other to choose Jesus. To choose Jesus that he really has revealed himself to us in your word. Choose to follow him and be obedient to him. God, would our heart desire be to reach people who don't know Jesus and to grow in our own knowledge of Him. 
Praise all in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you go from here? We talked this morning about the choice we all have. Many of us here have already probably made the choice to follow Jesus. If that's you, would you go from here living out that choice by inviting others to follow Him as well? You are dismissed.